Welcome to Women's HealthCast, a podcast from the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. With this podcast, I'll be exploring issues and innovations around women's health with a little help from experts in the UW Department of OBGYN. Since the industry began measuring it in the last several years, rates of burnout for doctors have increased pretty much every year. In 2018, OBGYNs reported the fourth highest rate of burnout of all medical specialties. I asked David Kushner why burnout's becoming such a problem, what it means for the quality of care physicians can provide, and what needs to change to improve physician wellness. Dr. Kushner is a gynecologic oncologist in the UW Department of OBGYN, and he leads a wellness task force for the Society of Gynecologic Oncology. I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. David Kushner from the UW Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. We'll talk a little bit about physician wellness today, but first, Dr. Kushner, um, I'd like to learn a little bit about you and your background. Well, thanks for having me. I um, am a GYN oncologist here at the Carbone Cancer Center here in Madison. I'm from the Midwest through and through. Did my training all at um, universities here at the in the in the Midwest, University of Michigan and um, Northwestern University. I did my fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic in GYN cancer, and I've been here uh, since 2001 in the department of OBGYN. Why did you want to become a doctor? So I come from a family of physicians. My father and my sister are both physicians, and um, they're both family doctors, actually, which actually, which I think did influence me. Um, I'm the one that was not a family doctor, yeah. but my, my dad in particular was always about taking into account the whole person and really thinking about all aspects of their wellness and their care and not just thinking about the one problem that they have, in fact, um, I knew he would. Uh, he never really liked surgeons. Didn't really um, think surgeons thought much about the person. Just wanted to take out something. And when I said I wanted to be a surgeon, he wasn't all that thrilled about that. But as time went by, and he started to see that you can be a surgeon, but really care about the whole person and their family, um, then I think I won him over over time. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, physician wellness and physician burnout. I feel like at least once a week or every couple of weeks, I read a new editorial from um, a physician in one of the big journals about their own deeply personal experience of um, burnout and how it's impacted their care. And I know in our department, at least, you're kind of the go-to specialist for this topic. Um, so I was hoping you could provide first just a background. Um, what is burnout and how does it manifest? What are some of the most common symptoms or uh, markers? Yeah, so for background, I would say that um, burnout isn't unique to medicine. Um, burnout is something that can happen in any field or um, really any person in their life. And for many years, it was hard to define. People kind of knew when they were burnt out. It's one of those things you know it when you see it or when you feel it. But it wasn't well defined. And actually, that was one of the problems was is that um, one person's burnout is another person's just too tired or doing too many hours, or maybe somebody, um, especially in medicine, was told that they just can't handle it. They're not a strong enough person to handle it. They need to be able to, you know, work more hours, less sleep, that sort of thing. Um, but over time, there became, with the invention um, and creation of numeric scales to figure out different quality of life parameters all throughout medicine. There became uh, 
validated scales for burnout. And so there are such things now. And so you can actually test somebody, have them answer scores. And there are different domains. And it talks a lot, This the questions that define burnout end up talking a lot about, especially in medicine, specifically, do you feel, are you starting to feel uh, depersonalized? Like your patient isn't a real person anymore. Um, are you um, not wanting to, some of it's similar to depression, you know, having a hard time getting yourself motivated each day, doing the things that, are you not getting any joy out of your work, that sort of thing. One of the differences, though, is that when it comes to being burnt out in a field like medicine, you may still enjoy the rest of your life, um, yet you're really, when you're not at your work when you're at your work, and you're, um, so you, you're almost in a state of depression when you're at your work. It ends up also getting in, um, seeping into the rest of people's lives, and there's lots of studies looking into the effect that it has on people's lives. And uh, probably the most dramatic is the effect on uh, suicide. And so uh, physicians have a two to three times higher suicide rate over the general population. Um, and every year, about 400 physicians commit suicide. They're much more, unlike the general population who try to commit suicide at a certain rate, but oftentimes are not successful, and oftentimes it's a cry out for help, physicians more successfully are able to commit suicide. And so 400 physicians is a huge medical school class. So a typical medical school class is somewhere between 200 and 350 people, and basically we're losing one full class of doctors every year from suicide. Does it seem like this problem is getting worse over time? Um, have Do you think physicians have always been burned out at this rate, or has something changed to make the career less satisfying or the, the, the drain higher? It's a, it's a good question because you could say, well, it really wasn't tested in the past. This wasn't something anybody talked about, and, and nobody in medicine talked about burnout more, you know, even five years ago, but certainly over 10 years ago, nobody ever heard of it. Um, and, and we all have a feeling that the burnout rate seems much higher, um, but now it's been able to been documented quite well because the same exact surveys have been now sent out multiple years in a row. And what you'll see is that even just over the last five years, the amount of burnout in the same specialty or the same group of physicians has gone up by a few percentage points every single year, and that's just marked over five years. Um, and now when, they, when we look back over some of the original studies done 10 years ago, it does appear that it's going up that fast. So it's not just that it's higher now than it was 30 years ago, it's higher now than it was even five years ago. So you mentioned surveys, and I wanted to ask in particular, um, the Medscape survey, they, it seems like they do a physician wellness and lifestyle survey pretty much annually. And um, OBGYNs in 2018 had the fourth highest rate of burnout of any medical specialty. Um, and OBGYN in women's health has ranked in the top 10 for the last five years. Um, why do you think that OBGYN in particular uh, reports such high rates of burnout? So that's validated in all sorts of surveys, both locally here in Madison as well as nationally. And it's not just the Medscape survey that has mm -hmm. shown OBGYN as being a really high risk factor. Surgical fields tend to be higher than non-surgical fields in terms of burnout. And this is um, one of the surgical fields. Um, oftentimes um, fields that have more acuity to them, more less control over their day 
also can be um, a higher rate of burnout or be associated with a higher rate of burnout. And that is very consistent with OBGYN. So you really can't predict when a baby's going to be delivered. There's a lot of nighttime hours, a lot less control than if you were a dermatologist, let's say. Um, the lowest rates of burnout are seen in, in like psychology, psychiatry, um, pediatrics, where people, um, if we go to psychiatry, for example, most psychiatrists are not working in an acute ER situation. Most of the psychiatrists are working in an office where they have, you know, every 45 minute or one hour appointments and they know what their day is going to be like. And it's really fascinating because it's not related to the amount that physicians make, which has been, you know, which is interesting. And it, it goes to wellness in general. Forgetting even medicine, um, burnout, uh, wellness, depression, these things are not, they don't correlate in any way with the amount of money people make in their job. Uh, because it has a lot more to do with somebody's satisfaction at their job and how much they are fulfilled with their job. And then these issues I'm talking about of control are really important. And the fact that you have less control in OBGYN seems to be an issue. Also, there's a lot of emotion in the field. So you're having big highs and big lows. When, uh, when you have a, 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 you know, twins delivered and everything goes great and the family's there and they're giving you hugs and everything, that's fabulous. But when you have a woman who is supposed to deliver a healthy baby and she's 25 years old and that healthy baby is born, is a stillbirth, and that comes out of absolutely nowhere, the emotions that go around that are huge. And we see them, I'm a G1 oncologist, and we see that, of course, in cancer, where you have these big ups when you get people that are cured, and you have these big downs when you have people that you expected to be cured that aren't, or people that pass away. So um, that's one of the things that many people go into OBGYN for. We, um, you're really involved with your patients, and it's exciting, and those ups and downs are fabulous in many ways, but they also can take a toll. You talked a lot about um, what burnout looks like for the person, the practitioner who's actually experiencing it. Um, how do you think it impacts colleagues and um, health systems, even the, the broader like office setting? So the impact of burnout is really enormous, and I think that's something that's only come to light over the last year or so where at first it was like, oh, is it a real thing? And then it was defined and okay, it is a real thing. And yes, it's increasing. And then there was the impact it has on that person, that provider. So that's been shown where, like I described earlier, you have this higher rate of really serious effects on that provider. But what's been more interesting to me more recently is good data looking at the effect that burnout has on society. And so not just the fact that we're losing physicians to suicide, which in and of itself is horrible, but the cost of losing a physician to burnout. So you have the, this high number of physicians that end up leaving the field. By some estimates, it costs a health system $250,000 to $500,000 every time a physician leaves and they need to replace that physician. Just the cost of that transition. And when you start to times that, by multiple position leaving every year, some of the health plans on the West Coast have estimated, you know, $10 million a year in just costs related to burnout in just one health plan. And so you start putting that together, the millions of dollars that burnout is costing our healthcare system in the United States, which is already too expensive and overburdened. So that's been getting the attention 
of lawmakers just recently um, and getting the attention of insurance companies and hospitals, which is one of the reasons why finally we're starting to see, you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you, you are starting to see burnout mentioned all over. All the time. Well, when it was affecting a physician but nobody else, and we've known that for years, you didn't see it anywhere. Um, as soon as we started to see it as a national political dollars and cents issue, now suddenly everybody's interested in it. And that's okay, because whatever it's taken to get it on people's radar screen, it's now on people's radar screen. And so I think that that's really important. And then the other thing that's been shown in, um, again, very consistently across all studies, including studies done here in Madison, is that quality is affected by burnout. So there's a higher incidence of errors. And medical errors are are a scary but very real part of our healthcare system. There's been a lot written about that. That's a whole nother discussion. But medical errors um, are directly related to how burnt out your physician is. So I was wondering, yeah, it must impact the patient's experience as well. There's no way it couldn't to have a physician who's tired and not totally engaged with the work. Right. And, um, you know, patient satisfaction is really important, um, both for the obvious reasons that that's why we're all here is to take care of patients. And um, also because that's how hospitals and physicians are also starting to get measured, which is not a bad thing. Um, And I will tell you that it is directly related. I have a personal experience to that. You know, I've battled like a lot of physicians with burnout through the years. And when I, you know, went and did for the first time sort of active burnout prevention that I had never done before, I found my patient satisfaction scores, which we get reported back to us monthly, um, went back up into well above the UW Health average. um, And they were always slightly below, and then they jumped up and have stayed up there since then. And the only difference has been burnout prevention. If I am a patient and I feel... I feel like my doctor's maybe not um, totally there with me. Um, what can I do? Well, that's a complex question, and we can talk a little bit about what we can do in general about burnout. As if, as a patient, you're not in a very great position to help that physician, to be perfectly honest. Um, if the doctor's ready to hear it, and you mention it to them, that might be something that could help them get some help. But most physicians, if they're not already working on it, are not ready to hear that and may just kind of reject that to some degree. Um, Certainly, like at UW Health, we have uh, patient relations, and they're good at at, at helping patients get feedback back to physicians in in a productive way. And so that's a good way to work. So if you're working through a health system that has a patient relations department, you can work through them. Um, Otherwise, what I would say is, I think that, I think patients are the best advocates for physicians, to be honest. Um, And that's what's so interesting about our society is that we have everybody coming down on physicians. You have insurance companies, you have rules and regulations and training and maintenance of certification and on and on. It just goes on. And the amount of um, extra work that's been piled onto a physician has skyrocketed. Um, One study that um, was that the American Medical Association actually commissioned, they didn't do it, but they commissioned, showed that for every one hour that a doctor's with a patient, they spend two hours 
on the medical record separate from that patient. So if you think about that for a minute, if they just did seven hours in clinic, which is a typical day, so they've been seeing patients hard for seven hours, they now have 14 hours of work to do separate from that before they can get on to their next day. And that's average. And so how does that not lead to burnout? And so going back to your question, patients probably can't help their individual physician, but but what we see is that patient advocates and patients standing up and saying, no, stop putting more and more on the physicians, both at a hospital level, at when they hear these debates come up, which they are now coming up in, in state legislature and in, in Congress. I mean, people need to advocate and say, you know what? Physicians are here to take care of patients. And yes, we need them to document. And yes, we need them to do these things. But we need to make it easier. We can't have them um, be doing extra work just to check boxes um, because that's what somebody thinks that they should do. So physicians have to advocate for, them, advocate for themselves, but uh, patients can, can certainly help. You talked about um, the amount of time it takes to update electronic health records, and maybe that's a, a where there's some flex, what are some other like cultural changes um, mm-hmm. at sort of a bigger system level that could be helpful for physicians? Yeah. You know, when you survey physicians about burnout and there's a lot of things that can play into it, the number one thing over and over and over again are these, um, are the medical record and then the burdensome amount of paperwork, and now, of course, none of it's paperwork anymore, it's all on the computer, that somebody needs to do to help take care of a patient. So it should be simple. Someone comes to me with a problem, I know that that patient needs to get that scan, that blood test, and then those come back and they need to go get that surgery. I know what needs to happen, the patient wants it to happen. Uh, It's not even that expensive what needs to happen, it's all fine. But the steps that need to happen now all fall on that physician to get pre-approval for all of those things, make sure that they code it perfectly right. Things then will come back. Um, I, I coded it correctly for what it was supposed to be last month, but you didn't get the memo that said that this month you have to change it and add that extra decimal point, and for that reason it's rejected, and now you now the patient is calling you upset because their insurance company won't pay for it, yet you um, the insurance company says it's not their fault, it's the doctor's fault for not coding it correctly. So um, that's just one example. Um, there may be um, extra training that has been required, not because it would help a patient, but because um, it's been put into place because of just rules and regulations that have just kind of snowballed on top of themselves. One of the things that's occurred with medical records uh, changes is that there can be a lot more monitoring of physician practice and they can monitor everything that a, a physician clicks. And so if they are giving patients a slightly more expensive treatment regimen than average, they can then go back to that physician and say, why are you doing this exactly this way? It's costing two cents more a patient, and we need you to figure that out and get back to us with a long explanation as to why, and we're not going to allow you to do this anymore. So when you add all the training and justification that needs to happen to take care of patients in this system, it's very, very hard for physicians to keep their head up and keep advocating for patients. So I know um, you're a member of the Society of Gynecologic Oncologists and Mm -hmm. um, taking the lead on a wellness task force with the society. Um, How's the SGO approaching uh, cultural change in Mm -hmm. the specialty around wellness? 
I've talked a lot about the systems issues that physicians have to deal with. And that's a certain aspect of it that's really important. But there are really two aspects to trying to prevent burnout and to improve wellness. Mm-hmm. And, th- and, and so that's one of them, is really trying to advocate in the system. And so that's one thing the SGO is doing. For example, the National Academy of Medicine has really put this as one of the top priorities for medicine in the United States at this point, which is really amazing considering um, that that, for, for the National Academy of Medicine to recognize it that way, they really only do that when something is at the, out- it's, it's really a crisis, and so they're basically calling this a crisis. Um, and so we are one of the first societies, professional societies, to put a statement into the National Academy of Medicine, along with other statements that have been placed, really advocating for resources and change in these areas. Um, but more specifically, the other aspect needs to be also the physician working on resiliency and wellness. So yes, there are more stressors, but you can improve your ability to deal with stress. And we don't get much training in that as physicians. In fact, it's almost the opposite. The way physician and surgeon training has been in the past is basically sort of a weeding out process where we try to push it and push it and push it and see what someone can handle. And if they survive that process, well, they must be fine. Good to go. Right. And if you didn't survive it, well, then you were naturally selected out and you weren't meant to be a physician. That doesn't actually mean that the people that survived it are now well. In fact, oftentimes it's the exact opposite. So we don't get that training. So one of the things the SGO has done is um, is help create that training. So um, I was uh, I run the the wellness task force. Part of that we have a wellness curriculum that we put together for our fellows. So these are people who finished OBGYN residency and now are training to be a GYN oncologist. And we started with a four month curriculum. So one session a month taught at their individual program, but we put together a centralized curriculum. We talked about things like resiliency. We talked about uh, communication of bad news and death and dying to patients and trying to make that easier for a fellow so that the stress level there drops. So there are four different modules like that. And we piloted it. We got a grant from the American Board of OBGYN to put this together. We piloted it at 15 sites around the country. We had all those local liaisons who are the GYN oncology, typically their fellowship director, come to Chicago for a one-day train the trainer session, really taught them how to do these sessions. And then we, we finished that a couple months ago. So now they've done the four sessions, we've gotten back all the feedback, it's been really positive. Seems like it's making a difference. So now we're going to roll it into a year-long curriculum. I heard recently that the ACGME, which um, controls edu- medical education really in the country, has patterned a very similar curriculum, um, they had looked at our curriculum and actually felt that that was a a good curriculum to to expand out further. So we have efforts like that. We also um, brought the topic of wellness to the GYN oncologist. So this is a very intense group of surgeons and cancer specialists who never discussed things like this before. We started bringing it up at our national meeting and having sessions on it at at our national meeting. we also, on the website, started doing blogs where we would have influential GYN oncologists, people that nobody believed would actually open up like this, talk about things they do to stay well or issues they've had not staying well and what they've learned from them. And what's amazing about that, this is a um, once-a-month email that goes to all the GYN oncologists in the country. And in it, there are multiple different things you can click on, including 
the latest really important clinical trials that have been done, practice changing statements, that kind of stuff. The number one thing that's clicked on every month is the wellness blog, usually five to 10 times more than anything else on that email, um, which just shows you how much the physicians really need to read this and are interested in trying to find ways to get better. So, so we're doing a lot there and we're also doing similar things in the department here. So what kind of things are we doing in the department? And in general, I'm curious how departments and health systems can do a little bit better job integrating wellness into the way they're set up. Yeah, so it's multifactorial. I think hospitals jumped on this first, which is good. I would say in the last two to three years, most hospital systems have started to create, I mean, there was always some wellness for employees. Employee wellness has been around a little bit longer um, but physician wellness is a little bit different. Generally speaking, your physician w- isn't going to go to the yoga class with, with the nurses and everybody in the, uh, the OR techs. Now, maybe they should. I'm not saying that they should or shouldn't, but they just weren't going to the wellness things. But more recently, they've started to target because of the issues much higher in physicians than in these other specialties. So um, they've started to target physicians and do more both nutritional programming and um, because that's a key issue and overall fitness programming. Uh, There's been some on mindfulness and wellness in that way as well. Uh, The department of OBGYN is leading the way here in terms of the the medical school because there are lots of areas, a lot of departments looking into it, but we are um, starting a a committee and task force related to this issue we have an upcoming uh, session on this that's really going to attack it head on. And actually in the last three or four years, I think it started about three or four years ago, we, we didn't call it burnout and wellness, but we identified that there were specific topics that physicians really needed to work on. Things like how to interact with the medical record, um, mindfulness techniques, how to mentor people without it being so stressful on your practice and yourself. And, and we've had regularly every six month sessions where we stop all clinical activities, we bring everybody in for a couple hours and do these sessions. So we've been building up to the point where now we're pulling it together as a package and really saying like, how can we attack this problem? We, we're figuring it out. I don't think there are any answers yet, but there's we're, we're attacking it from as many aspects as we can. Here in the department of OBGYN at UW-Madison, so we're in an academic medicine setting. Yeah. Um, how do burnout rates and wellness rates, I guess, compare from academic medicine to more traditional private practice? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a good question, and there's preliminary data on that. So there are two aspects of burnout. One is your personal ability resilience to deal with complicated situations, and you can um, do surveys to figure that piece out. The other is... How much are you getting from your work? How much satisfaction are you getting from your work? How much are you engaged in your work? And the piece of resiliency, again, physicians are not good at. And what you see is it doesn't matter whether they're in academics or not. They tend to be similar. What we do see is that there's some burnout prevention that occurs in academics, actually, related to the fact that they're doing some other 
things besides just seeing patients. So seeing patients is incredibly rewarding. So in and of itself, you can get a lot from that. But it is the same thing day in, day out, over and over again. And so doing other things, whether that, you know, an academic, someone could choose to write papers or they can choose to do research or they can choose to give lectures or those, they can pick other things to get engaged in. They can give them little breaks from seeing patients and allow them to re-energize because controlling and, and understanding energy expenditure seems to be related to this. Um, there's a an author named Tony Schwartz who who writes about this, about actually managing your energy and that um, one of our problems is that we don't manage energy well. We just think we can go, 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 go without letting our energy rebuild. And I think that that's one of the issues that happens in private practice is that, yes, seeing patients is fun and great, but you use up your energy and you don't get opportunities to build it in other ways. So there is a little prevention that occurs in academics. As an individual, for you, um, what have you done? What kind of changes have you made to improve your own wellness? Yeah, it's a tricky one because um, there are a lot of pressures pushing away from wellness. Um, I think we all feel that in our society. I don't think that's unique to physicians. I just think that the there's extra pressures on top of that. Uh, for much of my career before there was any work hour rules or anything like that, it wasn't uncommon for me to work a hundred hour week. Um, and that was sort of what was expected, you know, and now that's not expected anymore. So I do think that there's been some really nice changes that have occurred in the right direction. I mentioned some things that have gone in the wrong direction in terms of extra burden, but I do think some things have gone in the right direction. Personally, um, I think of it as having a couple aspects. I do think there's a really important physical part of wellness, and that's both nutrition and exercise. You can't let either of those fall off completely. You can't always be on top of them either. That's one of the issues physicians have, actually, is that we tend to be type A personalities. So instead of just doing what is recommended three times a week, cardiovascular for 45 minutes, we have to run a marathon or a triathlon or something, right? And I've gone through that, um, trying to do all of that stuff. But, but one of the things that's been good for me to realize is that doing those things, but doing them in moderation, is actually much more well than saying, I'm going to do one marathon in four months, but then after that, I'm going to get burned out on running and never do it again. <laughs> so, so that's a piece of it is the physical part of, of wellness, which is the nutrition and the exercise. I think that a second piece is finding a way to be resilient and what I talked about, about managing your energy well. And that's different for different people. People get their energy and their rest in different ways. Some people are musicians, and if they can go have time on their piano or whatever they're doing, I mean, that's what they need. Um, for me, although I love sports and I actually I love music, and, and I never found those things to really rebuild me, so I needed something quieter. That's, I'm more of that sort of a person. And I searched for things, and I ended up finding meditation. I found that that, for me, is the thing that clicked as being able to rebuild my energy. And so I built that into my day-to-day -day, um, life um, as much as I can. There are days that I can't, but when I can, I find ways to build that in. And I feel like that piece of getting re-energized is really important to me. And then I think the third piece is interactions with others. And so finding ways to interact in a 
nurturing way with others, you know, kind of loving way back and forth with others is important. We're interacting with people all day long as physicians. Um, so sometimes going to the wrong environment when you're done might not work. But with some people, if they go right to the bar after work, is going to be wonderful for them because they just need to be with people who are not patients and they love that environment. All the ener extra energy is how they're going to gain um, energy for themselves. For other folks, it's really one-on-one -on -one time with a good friend or calling somebody or spending time with your family. So I just, I put it into these three kind of areas in terms of taking care of yourself. And you can't be perfect and you can't make your expectations too high. But if you can work on all three to some degree and get them at least balanced to some degree, then I feel that that helps. Join us next time on the Women's Health Cast when we hear from two specialists in the UW Department of OBGYN who are tackling a dangerous disorder from different angles. Preeclampsia affects about 1 in 20 pregnancies and can be potentially life-threatening if left untreated. We'll learn about current clinical standard of care for preeclampsia, ongoing research that could change our understanding of the disease, and how that research makes its way from bench to bedside. Women's HealthCast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to Women's HealthCast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app and let us know what women's health issues you would like to learn more about. Thanks for listening.